This is an extraordinary period for America's economy. Over the past few weeks, many Americans have felt anxiety about their finances and their future. I understand their worry and their frustration. We've seen triple-digit swings in the stock market. Major financial institutions have teetered Those were the words of President George W. Bush as he addressed the United States as one of the worst financial crises in history took hold. Hello, I'm James Hayward, Editorial Manager at the Treasury Today Group, and welcome to the second episode of the Treasury Talks podcast series. In this episode, I am joined by Roman Kozan, Professor of Finance at Warwick Business School. There were so many interlinked connections between different banks that everybody was pretty much relying on the health of the other banks. Jim Colby, Assistant Treasurer at Honeywell. After that trip, I came back to my boss and said, look, I think we have a problem here. I think there's going to be, this is not going to end very well. And Fred Shackney's SVP and Treasurer at Hilton. You know, risk management is something that is fundamentally a learned experience. We look back at the most recent global financial crisis, exploring why it happened and the impact it had on corporate treasury. First, Roman Kozan details the key events leading up to the crisis. The financial crisis itself, as we know, would start from the housing crisis in the US and from the collapse of housing bubble. But why, in fact, that has happened is in early 2000s, there were several economic reasons why investment companies and banks invested heavily in the housing and real estate markets and lending out a lot of mortgages and specifically subprime mortgages. There was a time when there was not that many very good investment opportunities at that time. So, for example, commodities prices were very high and it was very difficult to make money in the commodities markets. How the banks managed these risky mortgages and how they were rated deepened the problem. So these banks would lend a lot to the give away these subprime mortgages and then they start packaging and selling out to be able to hedge the risk of those risky mortgages. And by doing so, they thought they're hedging and they're trying to manage this risk. But in fact, that also played the bad role for them. Those new securities... It was a new product and it was very difficult to to price them and to measure their riskiness. And the job of the rating agencies were to be able to classify those securities, whether they are triple A's or double B's and so on. And they just went on and rate most of them as a very high investment grade. The interlinked connections between the banks meant that once one domino fell, the rest would become shaky. The problem is those credit default swaps, they are not getting rid of the credit risk, they were substituting credit risk with pretty much a counterparty risk because if one bank securing the default of the securities with the other bank, but if that bank fails, then he wouldn't be able to pay this insurance. And there were so many interlinked connections between different banks that that everybody was pretty much relying on the health of the other banks. And for example, what happens with AAG, the American National Group, they bought so many of those credit default swaps to providing insurance to the investment bank. Then at the end, when the defaults start happening, they just couldn't pay out all these insurance covers for those financial products. And essentially, there was a default. Honeywell's assistant treasurer, Jim Colby, first realized that there was a big issue when hunting for a ski chalet in Utah. I'm going to take you back to the winter of 2007. And 
I'd always wanted to buy a um, ski chalet. It's been one of my dreams. And so I started looking into it then. and I'd made a, an appointment with a real estate agent out in Park City, Utah, to look at some properties. And kind of hit on a price level that I thought I was comfortable with. And then when I started speaking to banks about financing the mortgage for the property, they kept asking me why I wasn't buying something more expensive, because based on my credit history that um, I could afford something more, a lot more expensive. And they had different types of mortgage products that might make that more affordable, interest-only mortgages, interest-optional mortgages. And I started thinking, this is really crazy. I had no idea that banks were willing to make those kinds of loans in the first place. A chance meeting with the ski patroller that same day highlighted just how crazy the situation was. Then I, I was thinking about that, and I went out skiing that day, and I rode up the ski lift with a ski patroller, and we were talking about real estate. And he said, oh, yeah, I own seven houses. And ski patrollers don't make very much money. And so it, it dawned on me there that we have a bit of a problem. And I had already been thinking about our banks and how banks were pricing credit products. And it seemed like the credit markets were quite frothy. And after that trip, I came back to my boss and said, look, I think we have a problem here. I think there's going to be, this is not going to end very well. Colby highlights some of the big challenges that Honeywell faced during the crisis and what Treasury did to help the organization overcome these. One is that we had $3 billion of cash that we were invested globally around the world and in different countries. And so we were very concerned about the credit exposure of our counterparties that we were investing in, uh, particularly um, the U.S. and the European banks. And so we made sure to diversify our exposure as much as possible away from those banks and where it wasn't possible to eliminate doing business with those banks. We made sure that every day we swept our cash out of those bank accounts and into banks that we were more comfortable with and into government money market funds. We carefully managed our CP liquidity. I remember on 9-11 that we had CP maturing and the Fed shut down some markets but kept the commercial paper market open. But the problem was we couldn't reach our bankers. And so we were able to refinance what we needed to do that day, but it was a little bit frightening. And so ever since then, we've been very, very careful about making sure that we manage our CP liquidity. We worked with one of our banks to term out CP as long as 12 months. I think we were one of the first people to do that. So we were not at all concerned about funding the company. And we were the safe haven in the storm, so to speak, uh, industrial tier one issuers. But we were managed about the credit exposure that we had on our cash. I would say another challenge was that we saw the tip of the storm because we were in the markets financing the company on a day-to-day basis. So one of our challenges was to make sure that we adequately communicated up to senior management the magnitude of the crisis and the urgency to take certain actions. And the main purpose of those actions was to preserve our credit rating because with the decline in the equity markets, the assets and our pension fund became quite underfunded. And with the drop in, in interest rates, the discount rate dropped and the present value of our liabilities increased. We had a big increase in the unfunded pension liability, which counts as debt for the rating agencies. And also revenues were declining. And so the credit metrics got quite a bit worse. 
so the challenge there was just to make sure everybody was on the same page in terms of what actions we needed to do. Despite the chaos that the crisis caused, one thing it did was show the value that Treasury teams can offer their organisations. And since the crisis, the role of Treasury has evolved. Hilton's Treasurer, Fred Shackneys, comments on this evolution. I think that there's a wider appreciation that there is an unknowable dimension of risk, and especially so within financial markets. You know, risk management is something that is fundamentally a learned experience. And so on the one hand, I think you've got people who appreciate that risk management is something larger and hairier than just an academic exercise. I think on the other hand, and I'm, I'm speaking kind of more broadly, not just my own company, but from speaking to folks elsewhere, you also have people that maybe adopt a little bit of a Pollyanna-ish response and say that, you know, if something's labeled a once-in-a-lifetime event, it means you don't have to worry about it anymore, which obviously we know is patently false. But I think within Treasury departments, and I think mine here at Hilton and, and others elsewhere, I think that there is certainly there's a greater interest in the role the Treasury can play in, in the consultative capacity. The crisis has also made Treasury more risk-aware, according to Shackneys. As a company, Hilton has put in place, I think, a very impressive infrastructure to deal with risks across the whole spectrum, from commercial to operational to financial. And certainly part of that is just driven by the influence of events over the last uh, several years. This is certainly true for how treasurers view their banking partners. Shackneys explains that there is now a need to focus much more on the business strategies of the banks. In some cases, it just contains things that you can't do anything about. So what you can do stuff about is really falls into two categories. So with respect to credit risk, the approach is that these are key relationships and there's trust and certainly credit ratings and all the formulas behind it are, are nice and good to know, but there's just as much importance, I think, behind the names, and not just the names of the bank, but the names of the bankers too. We certainly have had a number of conversations at the senior level with a number of banks over the last several years about the state of health on their side, as well as on our side, and their strategic plans and our strategic plans. So, you know, I wouldn't say that we have any concerns across our, our banking portfolio, Honeywell's Colby also comments on the need to manage your banking group more actively. We've always been cautious, but the crisis really drove the point home in a major way that we should be cautious. We're really looking for banks who can support us throughout the economic cycle, especially when you're providing business, for example, to a major cash management bank. You don't want them to pull away from your credit facility just when you need it because it's very hard to move that business. And you want to make sure that they're going to be able to provide those services throughout uh, the economic cycle and over the long term. One of the things that we make sure that we do with our bank group and our credit facility is to have a lot of banks in it. We have over 30 banks in our credit facility. And we wanna make sure that the bank group is well diversified geographically as well as by the types of products that they can deliver to us. Although we are decade on from the financial crisis, the fallout of it is still being felt today. Fred Shackney's comments on the biggest challenges that it has created. There certainly are many more rules to follow. I mean, there's an entire alphabet soup of, I know, very well-intentioned regulations. And I'm not saying that uh, to diminish the significance of what they're trying to achieve. I think it is natural and understandable that there is, is almost kind of a moral imperative to respond to the sorts of events that we've seen. And for, you know, those in, in regulatory authority to kind of say, let's try to prevent that from happening again. That That's a pretty reasonable response. Um, On the one hand, I like knowing that my banking providers are being more highly scrutinized now than they were in the past. I like 
the sense of heightened credit worthiness that that presumably brings with it. On the other hand, we feel the brunt of all of that ourselves. And each one of those regulatory acronyms brings with it a whole load of FTE requirements and all sorts of other kind of legal and privacy issues and all sorts of other concerns that we have to try to face. So while these rules are certainly well-intentioned, the flip side of it is they bring more complexity. And not only does that mean a greater workload to support them, but it also has a sort of a perverse impact of creating more opportunities for others to react to them. Honeywell's Colby has also felt the impact of new regulations. The financial crisis led to Basel III and to Dodd-Frank and, and financial reform in other countries. And so obviously it's increased the cost to comply with the new regulations, especially in the derivatives area. So it's driven up the cost of using certain derivatives products and, and we've had to perhaps use them a little bit differently than in the past, but not dramatically so, although it has increased the cost. The other thing I would say is that banks have become more focused on their core clients and their core competencies. So we've seen some banks pull back and other banks step up. But I think that's really a healthy thing over the longer term. So when it comes to managing our bank credit facility, you really need to be thinking proactively about how your bank's group might look in the future based on what those core competencies are and be ready for changes in the bank group. In terms of the debt markets, I would say that banks are not providing as much liquidity as they used to because of the financial reforms. And so that is a factor and and they don't give as much market advice as they used to. So it's up to corporations to do their own research more than in the past. Will these regulations be enough to prevent another crisis like that of 0708? Although history doesn't always repeat itself exactly, it does tend to rhyme. I know that sounds like a bit of a cliche, but I think it's true. And some of the things that I've been watching are the fact that for quite a long time now, we've seen demographics such that we have low labor force growth. We've seen a decline in in productivity and increasing income disparity where the wealthy are doing very well and the lowest rung of the labor force seems to have jobs, but the middle class has been hollowed out and increasingly challenged. And really what we've seen is those issues have been papered over by borrowing. So we've been pulling forward economic demand into the present through borrowing. And and that's one of the things that led to the financial crisis. And during the financial crisis, governments bailed out the private sector. And so the issues became more government borrowing, which was solved by QE. Now, QE, where the central banks are buying in government debt, has distorted the the risk markets and, and led to elevated prices in the equity and credit markets to the point where it's it's looking like there may be some potential instability down the road. So the big question is, how will the markets handle the withdrawal of central bank liquidity going forward? To me, that's the big question and something that we're focusing on very carefully. Fred Shackneys is also certain there will be another crisis, although what that will look like, he is not sure. Absolutely, there will be some other event that will happen. I would assume it will not be the same, you know, whether that's because we put in place regulations or because, you know, we're all a little bit smarter and we'll expect it sooner. It probably won't be the same. It will be something else also large and also just as unexpected. And that's not me being pessimistic or it's not a defeatist statement on the nature of markets and regulations. It's just a truism to say, 
that there will continue to be unexpected events. Thanks to all three of our guests, Roman Kozan, Professor of Finance at Warwick Business School, Jim Colby, Assistant Treasurer at Honeywell, and Fred Shackneys, SVP and Treasurer at Hilton. I'm James Hayward. This has been Treasury Talks. You can hear more of our podcasts and read in-depth about the issues we've spoken about on our website, treasurytoday.com.